if you look in your copy of the scripture, the Gospel of Matthew, um, you probably all know where we are. You've been following along with us in successive weeks during the exposition of the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 15 this morning, we turn our attention to verse 10, verses 10 through 20 of Matthew chapter 15. After Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles the man. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. Jesus said, are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. Um, I'm using the subject you probably already know. It's an inside job. I'm glad you appreciate it. <laughs> By popular notion, people say that uh, man is basically good. But that really contradicts the observable evidences all around us. And more importantly, the Word of God teaches otherwise. Man's evil nature is innate to him. It is the legacy of the fall. When Adam, the head of the human race, sinned in the Garden of Eden, all his descendants inherited his fallen nature, his sinful nature. That's what's wrong with you. There's only one who did not inherit that fallen nature, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, born of a woman, born under the law, but he was virgin conceived. Some may protest and say that external factors must also be at play in man's moral and spiritual condition, his evil actions. Well, external factors do not produce man's evil acts and attitudes. Get that. Understand that. Those factors outside him provide opportunities for his sinfulness to be manifested. Murder, for example, is in the heart. Jesus has already told us this. It comes from there. Jesus makes an authoritative pronouncement that murder's source is in the human heart. But, when the human heart, which is corrupt and depraved, has an opportunity to express itself, it will. And we know this all too well. 
a murderer's heart may be clearly seen in the events that just occurred a few days ago in Lewiston, Maine. Eighteen people were killed because a man had a gun and he, because his heart was murderous, he took that gun and took their lives. The actions of human beings externally are the result of what's wrong on the inside. If you don't get that, you will never really understand what's wrong with the world. In fact, I've been amazed over uh, time, sometimes Christians have pondered aloud what is wrong and they try to offer psychological reasons. I said, stop that. The word of God is clear. It's in the heart. Others may chime in and say, uh, well, uh, it's some malign supernatural power that's responsible for human evil. They bear the blame. The devil or his cohorts, demons. Well, Satan can tempt to sin, but he cannot coerce a person to sin. Let me put it another way. He can't make you do wrong. Sin is a matter of the sinner's choice. We don't need help to sin. We can do it all by ourselves. Thank you very much. You need to understand that. I, let me just stop here and say something about, just go ahead to the future and prophecy. There's coming a time when the devil will be consigned to the bottomless pit. He will be off the earth for a thousand years. But at the end of the thousand years, guess what? There will be uh, people who have been pretending to love Jesus. And they're going to go to Jerusalem to overthrow him and God will have to destroy them from heaven. They had no problem sinning while he was, Satan was banished from the planet. The reality of it is, for sinners, the response is because of his internal corruption. James 1, verse 14, is quite clear, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Lust, or evil desire, is native to human beings. It rises from within them. I keep saying that, don't I? Jesus' opponents, the Pharisees and the scribes, taught that spiritual and moral pollution was an external matter only. That defilement came from the outside. That's why they approached Jesus about his disciples. Remember back in verse 2 of this passage, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. They thought in their perverted, sinful, wrong minds, wrong-headed thinking, that if you didn't wash your hands by a prescribed ritual that is not biblical, then you would be defiled you'd be morally and spiritually polluted. It's not so. They were wrong. As we come to our portion of that text this morning in Matthew 15, we're going to give the heading, The Truth Stated. The Truth Stated, verses 10 and 11. Jesus dismantles the false teaching and their sinful behavior. The Pharisees. And he 
called the crowd, you'll notice, to him. And he says, hear and understand. This formulation or these words indicates to the hearers then and to us today that he was about to say something of eternal significance. Hear and understand. I'm about to say something that matters eternally. Pay attention. He is going to discourse on where moral impurity is, where spiritual defilement is, and that's profoundly important. You know, you better get it right where the source of sin is. Because if you do not get it right about where the source of sin is, you will not deal with the remedy for sin, and that has eternal consequences. And so Jesus is going to... Uh, Lay it out here. He's going to give us the truth about where moral and spiritual impurity come from. It is not a matter of eating with ritually clean hands. One is defiled by, it's not defiled by what he eats or how he eats it. <laughs> no spiritual or moral contamination can result from what we eat. We can eat anything we want to eat. It won't change us spiritually. The physical cannot defile the spiritual. The practice of washing one's hands, and as remember that's the context of the comments of our Lord, cannot make a person undefiled or impure, or pure, rather. So the whole notion that the elders, um, all that was promulgated, passed down uh, centuries, and even codified, I guess you could say, in the Talmud, is utterly absurd. Utterly absurd. It's not what comes out of the person's mouth that defiles him. It's, excuse me, let me state that again. You should have said, wait, wait, Pastor. <laughs> you said, thank you, you just gave me a pass. <laughs> it's, it is what comes out of the person's mouth that defiles him. It's what comes out of our mouth that uh, spiritually defiles us. Of course, the mouth is not the only place sin is manifested. But, and you can attest to this from your own personal experience, it is the most ready and immediate exit for the evil that's inside. Amen. Go on and say amen, shame the devil. <laughs> it's ready. The mouth can speak before the mind's engaged. Remember hearing that as a kid? <laughs> Proverbs chapter 20, uh, 15, verse 28 says this, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. You want to know what's inside a person? Listen, don't talk for a while. Not only a person's speech, but also the desires, thoughts, actions, and attitudes behind the speech. I mean, you you know you can you know what people desire. You you know their attitudes because their speech reveals it. Now, here in our text, back there, I always took you to Proverbs, and let's get back to where we are uh, here. And that word defiles literally means to pollute or make unclean. 
And I want you to get this point I'm about to make. Meals eaten with unclean hands do not offend God. But moral corruption inside people does. And it merits his judgment. That's why that's so profound. But Jesus is saying, it's what's in us that's offensive to God. We don't think about that very much. And I'll explain how that relates to Christians later in the message. You might ask the question then, the Jews, they had kosher laws. They had dietary laws. Leviticus 11. They had a long list of things that they were forbidden to eat. Among them was shrimp. I love shrimp. <laughs> I'm so glad. The Levitical laws do not apply because I'd be tempted often. Those restrictions, the Jews, they didn't eat those foods or weren't allowed to eat those foods, make them unclean. But those foods were not unclean in themselves. They did not in themselves pollute a person. They rendered a person only ceremonially unclean. Not actually and literally. Other things such as leprosy and touching a dead body. Remember, as you read through the Old Testament, you'll see that if you touched a dead body, you were unclean. You had to wash with water. Leprosy. You're unclean. Those things were symbols or illustrations of the true nature of man's sinful heart. That's what God was doing. He was teaching us our defilement by saying these things are unclean. And so every time a person became unclean by those things prescribed, ceremonially making a person unclean, they were reminded of their desperate condition, need for cleansing. Their sinful heart. It's the way God was teaching them. The true nature of man's sinful heart and his desperate need for divine cleansing. And so what a person had to do when they were ceremonially unclean, they had to uh, be cleansed externally in order to participate in public worship. When you read through the Old Testament and you see those uh, proscriptions and you see what happens when they became unclean, then you'll remember, I hope, okay, they need to be washed. They need to be clean before they can go before God. This cleansing provided a picture of the fact that every sinner requires divine forgiveness and internal cleansing before coming into God's presence. You just can't, apart from being spiritually clean, which those ceremonial things picture, go into God's presence. The book of Hebrews explains this reality of the Old Testament rituals. 
may I ask you to go with me to one place in Hebrews. I want you to see it. I thought about just giving you the text. And I thought better of it. I think it's better for you to read it yourself or hear me read it with your eyes upon it. Hebrews chapter 9. See, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant had all of these ceremonies and rituals. They were symbols, they were shadows, they were foreshadowings. Hebrews chapter 9, I'm just going to, there's a number of them here, but I I won't get us too far off base. Verse 9. Hebrews 9. He's talking about the uh, tabernacle in verse 8, bottom of the verse, which is a symbol. You see the word? New American Standard Translation, symbol. For the present time, accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience because he's not saved by those things, since they relate only, get this, to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. The reformation is when the new covenant came. But when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not his creation. He's talking about heaven. The tabernacle where the priests went to offer the sacrifices and lay their temple. All of those things were symbols. They weren't the substance. The worshipers couldn't be made perfect. That word perfect there means, refers to salvation. His conscience wasn't clear in terms of my sins are permanently put away because they couldn't do that. They were only pictures of a coming cleansing, a coming Perfection, that is salvation. The Old Testament rituals were only symbols. Uh, I'm going to give you one more. Hebrews 10.1. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things which can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make perfect those who draw near. The Mosaic law and all of those rituals, all of the sacrifices, they couldn't make a person perfect, that is, save them. They weren't intended to. That's why they had to be repeated. But when Jesus came, what happened? One time, One time on the cross, he paid for all of it. And all of us who believed, our conscience is clear because our sins have been forgiven, and we know that, and we don't have to offer anything. You see this cross up here? That's why there's no Christ on it. Whenever you see a Christ on a cross, understand those people don't understand the sacrifice of Christ. You don't have to re-sacrifice him. One time's enough. If he couldn't do it, how do you think you're going to ever do it? Christ is pointing to him. Do understand your salvation is wrapped up, bound up in him and what he did. 
If I had to depend on my righteousness, I'd been in hell a long time ago. As would you. So we give glory to our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. For he is the one who has paid for it. All that was shadows. All that was pointing to him. And he came. Now, let me, let me one more. Circumcision. Physical surgery. And you know what circumcision is. I don't have to explain that. It was a physical act. But it, it symbolized a spiritual reality. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, and Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 4, what it was, it, it was symbolized a spiritual reality. When the skin was cut away from the male, what God was teaching is more than just this physical act. God is saying there needs to be the cutting away of sin in the heart. There needs to be internal righteousness. Internal righteousness cannot be obtained by external rituals. You can't do this, do that, or the other thing and expect somehow to be righteous, something that God has not prescribed. It doesn't work that way. Because this righteousness is an inside job. God has to work there. If he hasn't worked there, you have not been changed or you won't be until he does. So Jesus has stated the truth. The next heading, truth offends. Verse 12. Disciples came and said, him, uh, you, you know, they were offended, the Pharisees were, by this statement, Lord, like he didn't know that. I'm going to tell you something about divine truth offends hypocrites. The Pharisees were hypocrites, remember? Back in verse 7, Jesus pointedly told them, you hypocrites. What Jesus did when he would tell the truth to them, as he always did, it was like ripping the scab off of a wound. wound. Exposed them for what they really like. And they didn't like it. Jesus offended them because he let them know that your system of righteousness, your system of self-effort, your system of external rituals is wrong. And Jesus uses two images to describe them, to explain their spiritual condition. Verse 13, every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Um, the parable of the wheat and tares, we've seen it already. The Pharisees are tares. Religious leaders, yes. Had respect of the people, yes. But they were tares. They do not belong to God or did not belong to him. They had rejected Jesus Christ. They rejected Messiah. They rejected the truth. They rejected the gospel. In fact, at this point, they had already begun plotting to kill him. God the Father hadn't planted them. And they shall be uprooted, meaning the divine judgment. Matthew chapter 13, verses 40 through 43. 
judgment was coming for them. The second image Jesus gives is here in verse, verse 14. He says, let them alone. Uh, he, uh, the prophet uh, Hosea said that about Ephraim. Let him alone. He's joined himself to idols. Judgment's coming. Jesus said, stay away from those guys. Nothing's good going to come to you if you're going to be around false teachers. Stay away from them. Don't let them influence you. If you're around a false teacher, be very careful. Share, with the, share the gospel with them, as Jude says, and then get away in a hurry. Don't let them corrupt you. And the second image here is they are blind guides of the blind. Blind guides, as all false teachers, ancient and modern, are. There's humor here, isn't it? Can you imagine a blind man telling other blind, come on, I know how to get there. Let me show you. He doesn't know where he's going. Charles Spurgeon, commenting on pastors who are um, unsaved, said in his book, Lectures to My Students, these words, a graceless pastor is a blind man elected to the professorship of optics, philosophizing upon light and vision, discoursing upon and distinguishing nice shades and delicate blendings of the pris prismatic colors, while he himself is absolutely in the dark. End of quote. They neither see nor understand the truth of the gospel. That's what Jesus said about them. And people who follow them, notice verse 14, and if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into the ditch. The ditch there literally was a reference to a uh, uh, pit, a reference to a ditch that was dug to hold water. Metaphorically, Jesus is talking about hell here. That's where they're headed. Because they're teaching the wrong way of following God, the wrong way of righteousness. That's why Jesus opened his statement when he said, hear and understand. That's why it's eternally significant. You need to hear because you need to know the truth. You need to avoid the pit, hell. Eternally significant. So the truth was stated by Jesus. He says your system is wrong. The truth offends. Jesus gave it to them. It was, they, offended, they were offended, hypocrites. Now the truth explained. It's going to lay that out. Peter. Peter said, explain this parable to us. Peter, I thank God for Peter, don't you? Because he, he got some things explained for us that we've been wondering about. When he talks about the parable, he is talking about verse 11. Jesus said what he uh, did there. And here's Jesus' rebuke. Verse 16. Are you still lacking in understanding also? Ooh. I was think I was awake last night, most of the night, and I, I thought about this verse. I didn't write anything down, but I'm gonna tell you what I was thinking. 
these guys had been with Jesus two years. And Jesus said, you've been with me two years and you still don't get this. And I thought, that's how we are. We can be around the Word of God and around the teaching of the Word of God and say, I, I don't quite get that. Why not? You're still lacking in understanding also Jesus, a mild rebuke to them, a mild rebuke to us. He said, you ought to understand the superiority of the internal over the external. You know why? Because back in Matthew 5.20, Jesus had already talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount. Except your righteousness sees that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's been clearly stated, and Jesus has been talking about it and talking about it and talking about it. There. So Peter said, uh, please explain it to us. Now, in defense of Peter, he had grown up under kosher laws. That's all he knew. It's probably a little hard for him to digest, no pun intended. The new truth here that Jesus was sharing with them. And he explains in his graciousness, our Lord does. Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? The physiological process of eating, digestion, and elimination is purely physical. In Mark chapter 7, verse 19, the parallel passage to this one, it says this, Food cannot defile a man because it does not go into his heart. Those two are separated, and the two, like oil and water, cannot be mixed. You know, these people tell you don't eat pork. Okay, don't eat it if you think about health wise. Don't think it's going to make you acceptable to God. No, it's not. Don't buy into that stuff. Jesus, in fact, oh, let's go to Mark. I better tell you this. Go with me to Mark 7. The parallel passage. Mark gives an explanatory uh, comment here. He's writing to Gentiles, Romans probably, Mark, his gospel in particular, does. And he makes a parenthetical comment. I just quoted it in part. Mark seven nineteen. are you there? It says this. Notice the parenthesis. Thus he declared all foods clean. See that? Jesus declared all foods clean by making that statement. So if, if you like me, you can go to Red Lobster and get you some shrimp. Amen. Some catfish. I <laughs> don't care about it. You say it has some uh, fins and all that. It doesn't matter. Jesus says it's all good. Because that doesn't define, it was only ceremonial. Now, in verse 18 of Matthew 15, Jesus again says, The things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile the man, they pollute the man. 
the word heart here. Let me explain. Of course, it's not the physical organ, but the, it is the uh, seat of one's mental, emotional, and spiritual being. The heart encompasses our attitudes, our affections, our priorities, our ambitions. All of that is in the heart. So what the Lord's point is, again, is that something physical and external like food eaten with unwashed hands cannot defile the, uh, the inner man, the inner person, because it's physical and it's not spiritual. No physical act of ceremonial cleansing or external ritual can purify a depraved heart. None. You can't fix a depraved heart by some religious act on the outside. You can't fix a depraved heart even if you come to church. It's an inside job. Jesus tells us what a depraved heart is like. I alluded to the opening of the sermon. Now let's unpack some of these. Some of these are obvious, but I'm explaining explain them anyway. Verse 19, For out of the heart come evil thoughts. Now, first, let me just say, this is a representative list. It's not an exhaustive list of sins. In fact, the Jews, they had their list of do's and don'ts, and Jesus says, okay, let me give you the don'ts. I have a list too. These are the sins that uh, corrupt a person, defile a person, pollute a person. Thoughts. The Greek word is a general term referring to a person's inward reasonings or perceptions. Because the heart is evil, Man's intentions, designs, ideas, motives, and musings are also depraved. Think about that. In our depravity, uh, before salvation, that defined, it, defined us. Our intentions, our designs, our ideas, our motives and musings, all of that, depraved, corrupt. In fact, in the pre-flood world, the Bible says their thoughts and intents of their hearts were only corrupt continually. Genesis 6, 5. And God knows the heart. He is the spiritual divine cardiologist. He never errs in his diagnosis. He says, this is what it is, the depraved heart. And before we came to Christ, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, apply to us who are saved. Now notice, murders. There, it's in the plural, as most of them are. It indicates successive acts. The illicit taking of another person's life. Adulteries. Sexual sin that violates the marriage covenant. May I say something? Thank you, sir. He trusts me. 
I've been kind of hearing a little bit about, some of y'all know, uh, what's this lady's name? She's married to Will Smith, Jada. And I heard this business about this entanglement stuff. Yeah, yeah, y'all been listening. Yeah, don't, don't sit there being pious. You know what? They got a mess on their hands. I'm glad, I'm going to say this. It's foolish to violate God's law. God is not a cosmic killjoy. God is looking out for our well-being. You want to be happy and contented and joyful? Obey God. When people mess up and they sin, people say, well, I don't break the Ten Commandments. Well, let me tell you, they break you. And people have a mess on their hands because they don't do what God says. Don't get by. So when you hear them talk, these folk, these celebrities and all the rest, and they're, they're known, there are a lot of other folk doing the same stuff, but they don't have the celebrity or the name recognition. Do understand the facade of everything's all right. That's bogus. It'll eventually be shown for what it is. The next one, fornications. Our English word, pornography, is derived from this word. General sexual sins. I'm going to tell you, young men, don't look at it. Let me say that one more time. Young men, don't look at it. Don't mess yourself up with that. Stay away from it. There's a man who is 78 years old. He's on his deathbed. And he confessed to his pastor that he never conquered pornography. He's getting ready to die. It's sad. And in this illicit culture with the media and all the stuff that they do, that stuff's out there. Don't deal with it. Stay away from it. It'll mess you up. It'll mess up your future marriage. Stay away from that stuff. They just airbrush them anyway, I'm told. (laughs) They're not real. Thefts. Our word kleptomaniac comes from it. False witness. Slanders. Abusive and uh, injurious speech. Now, verse 20. Jesus says, These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unclean hands or unwashed hands does not defile the man. Get this point. Man is the fountain of his own uncleanness. Nothing external can cleanse a depraved heart. Nothing merely human can do it either. Requires the work of God, the gospel. And God transforms the inner man. It's an inside job. If I said it once or twice, it's because it's true. Ezekiel chapter 36. I'm going to give you a few and it will be done here. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25. The new covenant. Moreover, uh, 
let me start with 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and I put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone and from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. God's going to do all he's going to cleanse them. Give them a new heart. It's a promise of the new covenant that is now in effect because Jesus Christ on the cross by his death and resurrection, he ratified it, established it. In John chapter 3, come here and our Lord Jesus is speaking here to Nicodemus and he says in John 3, 3, and following Jesus answered said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. What our Lord means by that verse, water and spirit, uh, when one is regenerated or born again by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit cleanses the defiled sinner. He washes you clean. He removes the filthiness, all of the pollution. He cleans you up. That's what he does at salvation. For all you people sitting out there who are saved, I'm looking at clean people. He regenerates, gives new life. You say, well, how do I know if I've been cleansed? How do I know if I have a new heart? A person with a new heart has responded to the gospel, number one. And because they responded to the gospel, there's a hunger and a thirst after righteousness. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. They delight in hiding God's word in their heart that they may not sin against him. Psalm 119, verse 11. That's how you know you want to put the word of God in you because you don't want to sin against God. You didn't want to do that before you were saved. Amen. You also put the word of God in your heart that you may serve the Lord in loving obedience to him. John 14, 15. You want to serve him now. You love him because he's transformed you. You have a new heart. You have the spirit of God living within you. You've been cleansed from the pollution that was yours before you came to Christ. You're now divinely empowered to live in a way that pleases God. And believers fervently love because they have pure hearts. They fervently love one another from the heart. 1 Peter 1.22 Another evidence is this. You flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. The New Testament delineates the evidences of salvation transformation when God has done that work in the heart. You are changed. Your disposition changes. Your behavior changes. All of that is different. All of this is a product of the supernatural activity of God in the human heart. Nothing external can do that. Only God can do that. Because it's an inside job. 
Only God can work in you. Only God can work in you, give you a new heart. Human beings can't do that. It's divine work. And if it's happened to you, you have much to give him praise for. And you can thank him for the positive positivity of the inside job. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the word of the living God, your word, your truth, which um, strengthens us, renews us, blesses, builds us up, uh, distinguishes for our understanding which is tr what is true and that which is false. May we, uh, as we continue to think about what we've read in your word and heard, meditate on, and we pray you illumine our minds uh, that we'll understand more f further and more deeply and walk accordingly and rejoice in it. We pray for those in this place who are without Christ, who don't have a new heart, dominated by the sins that are listed, we pray that you open their eyes to believe the gospel. Come to Christ. We pray you do it for your glory, first and foremost, and for their eternal well-being. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.